0: This is the second part of our interview with Dr. Keynes about running a successful DPC. If you missed the first part, please make sure to listen to it in last week's episode. What do you do for bookkeeping, accounting, payroll, all of this? Do you have a contract with some company or do you do everything on your own?
1: Right. So bookkeeping, I use QuickBooks and I have an accountant who helps me with, you know, keeping that all on in track and helping me with all the payroll stuff because it is not something I enjoy doing. And then (laughs) recently I joined a, I can't remember what it stands for, but PEO, which basically like a group organization that can offer you health insurance as well as, as long as they are also doing your HR stuff, like you're handling that stuff. So they're called decent. I don't know if you've heard them. Heard of them yet?
0: Yeah.
1: They're based here in Texas. They're an insurance company called Decent and they started very small and now they're expanding and the good thing is they are very supportive of DPC. They have all of their members have a primary care physician who's DPC and their premiums are a lot lower than the typical you know, insurance companies. So, they're an they're an interesting company to work with.
0: Oh, it's great. I say only in Texas or everywhere in the US. That's a
1: good question. I'm not sure. I'm in know California. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. It would be good to actually contact them and and ask them because I know they're growing. So, D E C E N T dot com. I see.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Thank you. It's helpful. I never heard about them. It's interesting. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what do you do for in-house pharmacy? Uh, Yes. So I'm in Texas. In Texas, we are not allowed to dispense medication, Mm -hmm. which is a big bummer for us and for our patients. So we have to send everything to the pharmacy. So we are in one of the, I think there's only four states that our physicians are not allowed to dispense and we're i'm in one of them i do dispense supplements and some over-the-counter medicines so i can do that but prescriptions we can't do
0: what books websites or other resources have you found helpful while starting and running DPC?
1: Sure. So, websites, I would recommend the DPC Alliance website. There's a section called University, and that's where we have multiple articles on DPC, how to start a DPC, you know, how to market your DPC. Like, there's a lot of resources there. So, DPC Alliance would be one. Another great resource. I mean, I've already talked about Atlas MD. Those guys will literally give you free advice, whatever questions you have. I also recommend the DPC Facebook group. There's a lot of great information there, a lot of great resources. And then there was a book that I read early on, and I can't remember the title or the author. It was one of the only ones out there for a while. It was a very simple book, but I mean, it just, again, you know, anything you can read and and hear about at the beginning, it just helps your mindset of what's important and what's not important. The big takeaway that I took from that book was that don't get wrapped up in all the business stuff. Remember the number one thing is take care of your patient and take care of your patient well. And don't ever not do that, because that is what you're selling. And in the end, all the other little things will fall into place. But if you have a great product, that is the most important thing.
0: Yeah, it's so true. Yes, it's Mm -hmm. absolutely so true. And how to keep work-life balance? Most oh. important, like when you're available, basically 24/7, and patients might potentially call you, text you at midnight, or when you're having dinner, when you're taking shower, when anything going on. How to keep this down? <laughs> and right. how many patient, how many calls and how many text messages you get on average, on average night and on average weekend?
1: Okay, good question. So I'll answer the last question first. So how many average texts or calls do I get during the weekday in the evenings? I would say on average, one an evening. Yeah. On weekends, I would say during the day, I would say on average, three on a weekend day. And I have told all my patients to text me because I'm not great at picking up the phone and checking voicemails. I'm, it's just not one of my <laughs> one of my things that I do well. So my patients know to text me. And also my patients know that it may take me a little bit of time to get back to them. It might not be an immediate response. And if they need an immediate response, then that's something telling them they should go to an emergency room. I said this before, but it is so important to set the boundaries early on. If you don't want to be bothered, like if it's going to really mess with your life balance and you really want to avoid those calls and those texts after hours, you have to set that right at the beginning. And remember, because you're your own boss, you can do that. So you can have an automated message that goes out, you know, at least through Atlas, I'm sure through other systems too, that say it's outside of office hours. If you need Dr. Kane's help, call her at your member phone number, you know, or whatever you want to do, or call us during business hours, you know, you can set it up any which way you want I know some DPC docs who literally have it in their contract that two weeks out of the year, you will not be able to get a hold of me at all. And you will not be able to get a hold of any of my staff members. And that's just going to be the way it is, you know, and they're okay with that. They don't mind that. I know physicians are really worried about getting bombarded because their cell phone number is out there. But I'll tell you, most patients are very respectful. You will get the occasional ones that are not. And it's not that hard to get rid of them because you just take a little extra time to get back to them. And because usually it's an unreasonable person, they go away on their own because it took you too long to get back to them, right? I had one patient who would literally email me, text me, call me within five minutes because she was at the pharmacy and their pharmacy did not get the prescription I sent. You know, and so that kind of thing is like, I, I can't do that, right? You know, we're taking care of patients all day. And that was a pattern for her. So you just take a little extra time to <laughs> answer. And, and it's okay. They, they seek care elsewhere. The other thing is, I never, ever say that I'm 24-7 available. What I say is I'm highly accessible. Because sometimes I do get on a plane and I don't get text messages or phone calls. Or I do mm-hmm. sleep through you know, texts or calls. And I've done that before. And the great thing is your patients know you well enough to know that you're not blowing them off. They know you're human and that you mm-hmm. might may have slept through it, right? Most of the reasonable patients do. All, most patients are very reasonable. So the big key to that part is set your boundaries early. If you don't want those texts or those calls after hours, you have to know what your boundaries are and don't get caught in the, I'm trying to build my practice. So I'm going to, I'm going to answer all of these and I'm going to do all of this. And I'm going to, you know, bend over backwards and I'll go in on my day off, you know, that kind of thing. I know that I do a lot for my patients, but I'm at a point where I know I need to reset some boundaries because it's getting to be too much. Right. And I think to myself, if I had to start this over, I would be very strict with my boundaries and don't be afraid to tell patients, Hey, I'm out of the office. You know, can I get back to you when I'm back on such and such day? And most of them are like, oh, yes, please. You know, this isn't a rush. Take your time. So that's the big advice.
0: How about night yeah. time? Like this one phone call per evening, is it like evening, like normal evening? Or is it like after 10 p.m., for example, or after midnight? How many after midnight?
1: Oh, after midnight. Honestly, in the, la- in the last five years, my after midnights, I would say have been four calls. Oh, maybe. okay. Okay. like we're talking very minimal. Okay. And the and the reason for that is because again, our model is great because our patients know that they're going to be able to get a hold of me either that day or the next day, right? So they're not worrying like I'm not going to be able to talk to my doctor, I don't know if I'm even going to be able to see them. You know, they're not going to have to go through the phone chain of five different people just to get a message back saying, schedule an appointment, you know, like it's, it's so different because your patients know that you're actually going to get back to them. (laughs) It's a (laughs) wild concept.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's very helpful. For many physicians, it's so important to make sure you have some work-life balance, and can attend family gathering or something with your children Absolutely. without having to worry about work and to be constantly on call.
1: Yes, yes. And and the big thing I would say is set your boundaries early and then also remind yourself why you're a physician, you know, because I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think to myself, like when somebody contacts me after hours, almost always it's for a good reason. Mm-hmm. And I know they're scared, right? Most people are just scared and they don't know what to do. And that's that's a big thing. And and it might be a minor thing for me. Like, you know, I had one patient who had a severe sore throat and some anterior cervical lymphadenopathy, and she was scared that she had cancer because she felt these lumps. And, you know, and and in my head, I'm like, it's totally fine. (laughs) You've got a sore throat. It's going to be fine. Um, But yeah. yeah, people get scared. Right. And, and that's, again, I remind myself, you know, this is part of why I went into medicine is to be able to reassure and to explain things. And again, when you have that relationship with the patient, those calls don't take very long and I don't know, they're just so appreciative. So
0: It's great. It's very helpful. And what three practical tips, in addition to what we already discussed, what you would recommend to physicians who are considering opening PC?
1: You know, my big recommendations are, number one, which I've said multiple times, set your boundaries early to let your patients know what to expect. Because many patients will sign up with you thinking that you're a concierge doctor and that has happened many times where patients will be like, well, I'm really upset because you did not call me back when I asked you to call me back. And I'm paying you every month. I thought with a concierge doctor, I would get a call back within an hour. And that's when I I'll stop them and I'll say, Oh, I'm so sorry that you thought that this is a concierge office. It's not, you know, it's direct primary care, yada, yada, yada. So Boundary setting, number one, that's an absolute must and really think hard on how you want to do that and what's most important to you. Number two is keep your overhead low. The only way our model works is by keeping overhead low. Patients don't care about your fancy waiting room or your fancy equipment. They really just want excellent healthcare and accessibility and some kind of connection with their doctor. So keep overhead low. Don't get in the rut of spending a whole lot of startup money. Number three, get help, ask for help. All of us are out here to help everyone. Like literally we get text, calls, Facebook messenger, like, hey, do you have a form for such and such? Or who would you recommend for such and such? We are all willing to help. Number four is remember that you're your own boss. And you can literally shape this any which way you want. And you can change things when you want to. So even if one of your ideas doesn't go well, And there will be plenty of those. We all make mistakes. This is a small business. It's normal. Just remember that you can make changes, you can make mistakes, and it's quite okay. (laughs) And then number five, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it. Because I feel like as primary care physicians, we've all been brainwashed into thinking that We can't have our own practice. We can't be a business owner. We can't survive without the large healthcare company. And my answer to that always is, you know what? My plumber can do it. My electrician can do it. They can do it. My landscaping gentleman and team can do it. I can do it too. It can't be impossible. And so those would be my pieces. I love
0: it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. All of this. <laughs> Perfect. I just love it. <laughs> and I also wanted to ask, you mentioned about keeping overhead low. Can you tell a little yeah. more about uh, what helped, how to minimize the cost and to make sure all of this budget friendly? <laughs>
1: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, big things are the hardest part when starting up is finding your space of where you're going to work out of. And some docs make the mistake of getting a large space and renting a large space and space means money. So big recommendation is consider maybe subleasing from a clinic who has an extra exam room or something, because that's usually a lot lower cost or think outside the box of where you're going to find your space. You know, some people have a space in like a yoga studio or just different places where you can find lower rent because rent is oftentimes a really big expense. The second big expense is employees. Don't let your ego think that you can't clean the toilet or do your vital signs, you know, on your own. Like having an employee is a Big, big, huge cost. And if you can do without an employee at the beginning, I would highly recommend it because that's a huge, huge cost burden. And then with everything, just try to find things at a lower cost that are good enough. Now, I kind of I talk about good enough a lot during my life. I'm not a good enough physician. Like that's the part of my life where I'm very much a a perfectionist, but Good enough, like is my website good enough? Is my voiceover IP system good enough? Is my fax system good enough? That's kind of what I'm talking about. That part, just make sure it's good enough and don't feel like you have to pay, you know, a few grand every month for certain something, because there's going to be plenty of vendors out there who are going to tell you what you need for how much money and you've got to watch your cost. Another big one is internet development and that type of thing. You can spend 30 grand on somebody developing a website for you. For me, I found a freelance writer who just does kind of websites on the side and I was like, "Can you build my website?" and she did and it was like 1500 bucks, you know, like think outside the box and think about having stuff that works and is good enough for those type of things. Don't spend all that money all up front. Make sure that you actually like the model and that you can survive on the model.
0: It's it's perfect. It's perfect. And how about marketing? What helps oh, yeah. to get patients in to make sure they actually know you're right here? And also, sure. does location... Affects ability to get patients in. Like, will patients be deferred by the fact that you located, for example, in a yoga studio or in spa or in some unconventional space? Or oh, it doesn't matter. Should we put attention a, on Yeah, it's
1: it, a great question. You know, I've never been in an unconventional space, so I'm not sure about that specific part, but I can say that marketing wise, the absolute number one thing always is word of mouth. Number one. Uh, Number two is the internet, specifically Google. You've got to spend a little money with AdWords every month, you know, so that your name pops up at the beginning. And you need to encourage your patients to do reviews, especially at the beginning, because again, you want your name to get up at the top of the list. And those are the honestly, The big things. I would highly recommend for physicians: don't waste your money on radio ads, newspaper ads, magazine ads. No, no. Mm -mm. they are very, very low yield. Yep, Mm. low, low yield. Good to know. Low yield and a lot of money. Health fairs are usually low yield as well. But Mm. at the beginning, you know, my my whole thing was: if it's not very expensive, I'll probably do it. But you know how some health fairs, they, you know, some organizations are like, you can have a booth for $3,000. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to (laughs) happen. You know, whereas others are like, oh, $100 or thank you for coming. Just we'll let you just come, you know, But those kind of things, you know, at the beginning, you know, it's not going to hurt you, but don't spend a whole lot of money. And unfortunately, health fairs are very low yield, at least in my area.
0: I see. It is very helpful, all of this, really. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, you're welcome.
0: If our listeners would like to contact you,
1: what would be the best way to do it? Sure. Yeah. Best way is honestly my email address. It's dr, like Dr. Kink, Kainth K A I N T H, at mapleprimarycare.com. Mm -hmm.
0: i will put it in the show notes if you like perfect perfect thank you so much it was
1: extremely helpful oh you bet well thank you so much have a (laughs) wonderful day thank you you too